I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockus Nationwide. Hello again, Ireland are back and so are we, looking back on a big day in Dublin with me, Gareth Hunt, our Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how are you doing? And Michael Sadler. Hiya. As well as Rory Best's emotional farewell to the Aviva Stadium and what it means, of course, we have Ulster's 50-point friendly haul against Glasgow to address and another victory for Ulster A. First up, though, we, we give off all the time about the Dublin journalists, the Dublin fans, and what they make of Rory Best. But do we? Do we, do we really? Only every other week. Oh, but Putting words in my mouth. On, on Saturday, as Ireland beat Wales 19-10, they, they gave him a great reception, didn't they? Sorry, I didn't address that to anybody. Jonathan, you, you go first as our home and away Ulster rugby and my World Cup correspondent. Yeah, it was a great reception. Um... I thought he played well, uh, made a good number of tackles, had one big turnover, sort of 15 minutes in, uh, the jackal turnover that we haven't, that's maybe been missing for so far this summer, it's always been a huge, huge part of his game, that was a big moment. Um, two line-outs obviously went astray, but I think only one can really be considered his fault, the other, the second one, the throw was fine, and I think that settled, probably settled him down and settled the Aviva down, then when that third one went and obviously come his substitution on the hour mark like the cheer for him going off was bigger than for the try that um, had happened 30 seconds beforehand and then the reception at the end was huge like I probably I suppose in recent memory you're probably talking about Brian O'Driscoll because I, I was trying to think Michael like mm. whenever we were down for this time four years ago like there definitely wasn't as big a deal made about Paul O'Connell now that's possibly because he was obviously meant to be playing on for yeah. Toulon so there was a possibility that he would have played now and again but like Paul O'Connell seemed very understated but by comparison and I know Rory wanted his own to be understated Yeah well it's hard to top the Brian O'Driscoll one they had an inflatable if you remember they they sort of put up this uh, almost this, this image of him which they floated around the stadium yeah, at the end Yeah it was like a, a Thanksgiving mean, Day parade around yeah, the Aviva Stadium Yeah it really was all we needed were the cheerleaders and the pom-poms <laughs> um, so I think Perhaps, yeah, you're absolutely right. The Paul O'Connell situation was different. And Bod, you know, got really got it. But I don't think they're really doing that consciously now. Maybe they maybe they reckon they'd overdone it a bit on him. I don't know. But, uh, no, it was, it was good to see him get a reception like that. Uh, it was also good to see him, as has already been pointed out, playing quite well again because yeah. the uh, all that damage that was done at Twickenham um, was, was really hanging was hanging over things quite alarmingly for the, the whole team never mind Rory so um, no no they, they, they look in a much better place now as they get on the plane and head off to the uh, next typhoon which is presumably going to keep them <laughs> in the airport for a few hours I don't know we'll see did it take you back in any way just how big the reception was I mean we know that Rory isn't as loved down south as he is up here but did it I, think anybody, maybe he is. I don't know if anybody's as loved anywhere as Rory is <laughs> up here to be fair you know um, him and Jamie Dornan um, on the side of our buses you know um, but you know it did take me back because obviously like I was doing a match report live and then I had the day piece for Monday and to be honest for Monday's paper I just sort of scrapped the actual game and just wrote about Rory yeah. Best because it like 
being there it's, it did sort of feel that significant obviously it was a sort of meaningless game but not quite a meaningless game in just in terms of how the summer it went but I think like the big storyline really from it mm-hmm. was uh, was Rory's farewell from a and even even though it was Drew Schmidt's farewell as well, maybe this is a misreading of the the Dublin press. But what I looked of it online, it was mostly about Rory. It was, which Joe actually, in fairness, you know, he deflected anything coming his way onto Rory as well, yeah. uh, in very typically Schmidt style. But it was also good to see it because he didn't quite get the send off really that he was hoping for at Ulster. If you remember, the mm-hmm. retirement announcement kind of dropped out of the sky a bit and uh, he, he did this by himself with his wife and family and then the season kind of petered out I suppose so it was good in that respect that um, no matter what happens in Japan that he, he, he was able to walk off with his head held reasonably high off the back of a victory off the back of the idea and notion that Ireland are maybe now ramping up and, and getting to the point that they need to be to start this competition so that was all very good I just thought it was an interesting contrast with the way things worked out from mm-hmm. here um, it was nice to see, and uh, hopefully uh, he's a few more games in him, and we'll go a little bit uh, further than, oh, dare I say, the quarterfinals. <laughs> and but Richie Best had an absolute whale of a time um, <laughs> on the pitch afterwards. He was running around everywhere. Uh, he'll not be a, f- he'll have to That's break. a son for anybody. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. He'll have to break with tradition and be a back. I think he's, uh, he's got a bit of a zip around him when he was running around that pitch. <laughs> I think wasn't that. I'm not sure if that was the the son or not. Where he said that it was quite difficult to explain to him that this was going to stop when it was at Ulster. Was it him or was it yeah. the other? Yeah, yeah, it was. That you know. By the way, look. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to stop. This is going to stop because he's a fantastic access to changing rooms and pitch sides <laughs> and as 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 sort of absorbed all this kind of you know if you like this this acclaim coming from the stands. So. He's gonna. That, that was the last yeah. a big, big run out for him. Good. Then at the Aviva too, <laughs> unless of course he ends up playing for Ireland. Who's exactly. to say? Well, true. Yeah. It'll be a good story come the day. He'll definitely yeah. have to play for Bambridge. So, if that was the final special day in Dublin for Rory, um, that sort of hark back to any other special moments. What would be your your top Rory best moment from the Aviva? In the Aviva, hmm. It, it it could and maybe should have been in a, an Ulster jersey very recently, almost. Well, if he hadn't went off injured, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Um, because when you think about, I suppose, for me taking the twenty eighteen win over the All Blacks aside, like where his most special moments as Ireland captain have been the Grand Slam in Twickenham and beating the All Blacks in Chicago. Um, maybe like even you know scoring the try and against the All Blacks in twenty thirteen and then playing on with a broken arm, even though they lost, like that was a mm. a huge yeah. huge performance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I might even go for that, even though the, even though they lost. He was he was very impressive that day, even though he wasn't on the pitch that long. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a great great performance uh, in a green shirt. It was nice to see the Wales players too staying on to to give <coughs> him a little reception. Probably just talks about mm. how highly regarded he is across the world of rugby. Yeah, he obviously would have known quite a few mm. of them from the past two Lions tours, but. Um, it was funny because I think Rory was sort of doing the rounds and trying to avoid the inevitable as much as he possibly could, talking to all the Wales players, all the Wales players stopping to talk to him for a while, talking to the Ireland players, and then it was sort of dawned on him that no matter how long he spent talking to other people, he was going to have to take this microphone and um, answer a few questions, which obviously, I suppose, 
he was very clear in the build up that he didn't want to get emotional, but I think it would have been impossible for him not to. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is. I mean, he also got very emotional that day when he announced his Ulster retirement. Mm-hmm. He's clearly an emotional person, and when the, his wife and family are around, you know, it's not that surprising. Um, so uh, you might see some more of that when he actually plays his very final game. Because I'm not sure if the family are going out. Well, uh, certain, certain elements of the family, I think, mm-hmm. the mum and dad are definitely yeah. going out. I think Simon's Simon. looking to get out at some stage. Yeah. But um, I don't know about um, the wife and kids. I assume they're probably. Yeah. Well, I don't know. School. It's a it's a long track for it, it, three, three, three kids, track. I suppose. But, but I think he's often alluded in the past the fact that they have done the miles and done yeah. the travel so that um, they can see him. It's a strange one because, like, when you think back to, I suppose, like Keith Wood or even like Brendan Mullen, when these things happen at World Cups, they do obviously get swept under the carpet mm. to some degree because obviously mm. the exit from the World Cup is the huge yeah. huge yeah. story you know so I think it was nice in that regard to get the send off before yeah. the World Cup because it's probably not going to be talked about too much yeah. in the aftermath yeah, of that's true. either an Ireland exit or Ireland winning the World Cup except by us Apart from Bales. Well, yes, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep like, going. We'll yeah. keep if, if Ireland win the World Cup, like, we'll still devote the first 20 minutes to the <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do remember Keith Wood's retirement, and it was notable that that was his last game, and that was a big moment, I remember, at the time, because he'd been such an iconic figure throughout yeah. some very dark, dark days uh, for the international team when they, France beat them. Mm-hmm. I remember him and Fabian Galthi um, embracing. So I think they both actually retired, or were both due to retire, and Keith was mm-hmm. finished. Brandon Mullen, I, don't th- I think he just... There wasn't anything. They'd just <laughs> been hammered by France and South Africa. And, uh, boo, that was it. That was it. Good think he, like, would he have been Ireland's top try scorer at the time? Probably. I think probably, like, like an awful probably, lot of yeah. the people that have scored more than him, if you look at it, are <clears> all very, very recent. Yeah. yeah. The, just the focus we do give Rory and are going to give Rory, like, it's all going to stop soon. And then we're not going to have this Ulsterman leading Ireland. And we spoke about this before. But it's probably something that we're really going to appreciate then when it all stops. And then we'll look back and go, that was incredible. What a time. What a time what a, what to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. What a time to be a Belfast Telegraph sports journalist. Because what am I going to write about now? Uh-huh. Yeah. Dear news. Dear news. Just mm. Jacob Stockdale scoring tries. Pretty much. That's that's going to be my niche in the market. Like Jacob Stockdale moving up try scoring charts. That's that's um, all I'm going to do. Rory Beth's son's rise towards yeah. the Ulster team. Yeah. <laughs> um, so performance-wise, you've already hinted at a little bit, but a bit of a shaky start for the line-out, but it got going. Was this uh, performance from Rory enough to silence any of those those doubts coming from down south? I think it has to be pure and simply because I think there's an acceptance now that Joe Schmidt isn't going to change <laughs> yeah. his mind more than anything else. Like I don't think there is part of it that I don't think Rory's going to change some people's minds, mm-hmm. regardless for whatever reason. But Joe Schmidt isn't going to drop him now. Like, he's shown, even in the England game, like, Joe Schmidt took him aside afterwards and was like, don't let the line out um, filter into the other parts of your performance. Here's what you did that I think was good. Mm-hmm. And then he was very quick to highlight his contribution off the bench against Wales two weeks ago. Um, what was it, 12 tackles in 25 minutes or something like that. And then called him Ireland's rock in the aftermath yeah. of um, of Saturday's game. Mm-hmm. So, like I said this at the time, when people were talking about Jamie George and Malcolm Marks and whomever, like these aren't the players that are going to replace Roy Best. So bringing them mm-hmm. into this discussion is moot. Like I said it all the way through the summer. It's but 
seeing as you asked, yes, he like he will be the starting hooker on yeah. Sunday week. Yeah. Cue uh, bombshell, and he's not man. Exactly. Silly, but <laughs> um, wouldn't be anything new. More generally, then the well, the performance first of all of James Ryan, Michael was um, yeah. notable to say the least. Oh, very notable. It's hitting the marks you want him to hit. Um, calling the line out, I think, as well, and clearly will be taking that, taking on that role. He is is an absolutely vital and massive player for Ireland and their aspirations. Um, you saw him pretty much right back to where we we you know Ireland need him to be mm-hmm. for this tournament. Um, so he's we ticking all the right boxes. As to who his second row partner is, well, we'll wait and see. But I think. Really would have to be in Henderson, yeah. uh, not Jean Klein. Well, we shall wait, wait and well, see. Well, maybe maybe circle back to that in a second. But like, <clears> basically, <throat> at some point, Johnny Sexton took over from Paul O'Connell as Ireland's best player, <clears> and then held that title. Really, Conor <clears throat> Murray probably pushed him close at various <clears throat> points, but it's always been Sexton. James Ryan is now far and away <clears throat> Ireland's best player. He's probably in the top. I don't know, eight players in the world, maybe, mm. at the age of 22, 23. He's the presumptive man of the match every time that he plays for Ireland now. It seems more uncommon that he doesn't win man of the match. He's just, like, he's an absolute monster. And like, to bring it back to your question, yes, you have to take heart because you need, well, you probably need a couple of players like that to win a yeah. World Cup. I think Steve Hansen said five, maybe. Well, he's certainly one for Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Connor Quinn asks. Um, well, he points out that Rand seemed to have even more speed around the park with the reduced demands of loose head scrum. Does that uh, make Klein a real threat to Henderson to start the big games in Japan? I don't know because I think James Ryan, while he was very good, he was also very good the week before. Scrummage against the tight head, um, in the Millennium Stadium, Principality Stadium, whatever. Um, I think he's just like he's he's a freak. Like I think he can do it no matter where he plays. The only thing that would maybe possibly do for Henderson as a starter or damage Henderson's chances of starting is how good he was off the bench and how good the bench was in general. Because if you know, let's not forget that Ireland were losing at half time. They really took control of this game around the hour mark. And then the real domination of the second half came when the bench came on. And when they brought on Henderson, Cronin, Ruddock, Kilcoyne, when they brought on those four players, they added dynamism to the performance, which was really notable. And you just wonder, is that something that Schmidt's almost calculating? Like, for instance, Joe Schmidt has meetings for his bench. Like, the bench will be in separate team meetings talking about the impact that they can give there's a real emphasis on <laughs> that for that finisher's word which is just the, the worst thing in the world but um i'll use it in this context anyway and hopefully you won't like crucify me for it like making sure that your bench aren't your next eight best players your bench is a unit that can make yeah. an impact over what is essentially a quarter of the game mm-hmm. and the bench was so so good on Saturday that I just wonder is there a temptation to try and recreate that in the big games yeah that's, that's, a, that's a very good point actually a very good point because that's what you need Yeah, you need that dynamism you need that to come on to either close a game out or to go and grab a game um, 
John Klein's not going to do that for you off the mm. bench. But what he will do is be a workhorse while he's there. So it could well be. And we know that Joe, for obvious reasons, we've talked about it and there's been lots of debate about it, has, has gone out of his way to make sure this guy is in and involved for all yeah. the, the reasons we need go into the toner stuff all over again <laughs> but that's what he's there to do mm-hmm. and if that's good enough <clears throat> for 60 minutes now how long was he on for on Saturday was it about? I think it was about 60, about 60 minutes, minutes. Yeah. that's okay now he did take a, you know there was a bit of criticism over some sloppiness but I think overall things like tackle count were high work rate was high that's what he's there for whereas as the point to me James Ryan's this if you like frequent nature yeah. but that is a very important moment when you release your bench and the type of players that you're bringing into into the game to either mm-hmm. do one of those two things close it out or chase it but always to bring energy yeah. always to bring a higher level of accuracy which will hopefully energize everybody around them hendy so, certainly fits into that no doubt about it as does sean cronin yeah as does dave kilcoin as yeah. as i did reese ruddick so yeah and like yeah. if if you were tempted possibly <clears throat> to go a 60 split on the bench and you throw Tag burn into that mix, and then you know, say in the Scotland game, you're sat looking at the R mark and you look over, and there's mm. you know, six eighths of a new pack coming on, and they're all big, mm. they're all dynamic, mm-hmm. and they're gonna provide that. Like we saw <coughs> it against the All Blacks with Handy coming off the bench against mm. the All Blacks in 2018. I think people forget that he got maybe dropped is the wrong word but he was used as an impact sub in that match rather than starting because he made such a contribution when he came on so you're telling me because Ian Henderson is such so a good, good substitute he's not going to start this is a hard sell for me guys it's, I'm not going to lie to you what are you going to do in 20 like, minutes yeah. you know that's what it's all yeah. about it's all about winning a game like, what, what we're talking but think about he's here gonna, like, think if, yeah. like, if you're Ian Henderson yeah. Joe Schmidt sits you down and says look Ian you're so good for us I'm going to have like, start in the bench I'm, you're going to go what? Yeah, like, what I'm not saying this is like something that I think is going to happen or something but, that but, I would do but, but I'm just it's flagging so, your it your arguments are so compelling that it makes sense well without getting ahead like, of ourselves uh, what we really are talking about here is well the Scotland game but also primarily South Africa, yeah, yeah, the quarterfinal. Yeah, exactly. This is what it's all about. We're all assuming naturally enough Ireland will get out of the pool, mm. whether they win it or come second. But it's all designed and all geared towards effectively managing that quarterfinal, mm-hmm. and you'll do whatever it takes. And it it would be very disappointing. Imagine sitting down as a player and going, "Well, you're actually not good enough for sixty, but you're really, really good for the 20. <laughs> you can imagine that it's going to get inside your head yeah. a bit. But especially when you are good for sixty, yeah, it's just yeah. like you've shown in the past that you can make such yeah. an impact in twenty. <laughs> Next time you come off the bench, you might just not be that good. If I was to walk in here, if I was to walk in here in the morning and be told that like we think you can do more work in two hours than you can in the previous six, I'd happily only work until eleven o'clock. Or just come in and do like four to six. Sounds like a good call. But it's one of it. It it is something that it's a discussion that will be had. It's it's something that he's going to have to sit down and talk to these guys about, depending on what way he decides to go Mm. with his bench. I think what we see with Ian then on the Scotland game will be a big hint as to what we'll see with Ian for the quarterfinal. I don't know because I think mm. I think it's almost two. I think you have to look at this as two separate mm. tournament defining moments for me. Yeah. You have the first game, and then the rest of the pool shouldn't matter. You know, like no uh, har- yeah. no yeah. harm to Russia, but if they're losing to Jersey and Connacht, then whoever you <laughs> yeah. put out should be able to beat them. Um, you know, so those games are almost become a foregone conclusion. Even Japan, Poss- like Japan could theoretically 
throw an upset. But we talked talked them up throughout the summer on the basis of the PNC, beating teams like Tonga. You know, we've seen Tonga play a good team at the weekend, <laughs> and they decided to play with 14 men for the last quarter just because they could, you know? That's, we'll have to come back to this later because that's I, I maybe fantastic. That's maybe the gulf that we're talking about in class between Tonga and the contenders, you know? Yeah. And obviously they played South Africa and shipped a few injuries, which they can't really afford. Um, all the talk is that those players are going to be fine, but there looked to be a pretty big gulf, certainly in terms of scrummaging power. Um, against South Africa on Friday night, we saw against South Africa and other teams in the 2015 World Cup how they could work around that, but they didn't do it on Friday, basically. And Samoa have obviously made a statement that they're coming to, to be extra on ultra physical, but in that game. Um, most of Ireland's frontliners, you would like to think, would not be involved anyway. So if they do ship damage, it won't necessarily mm-hmm. be tournament-defining mm-hmm. if they lose uh, one yeah. or two players. So Ireland's performance more generally on, on Saturday then. Um, obviously, it had been a, a fairly scary summer, fairly scary 2019, looking ahead to the World Cup. How big of a step forward <coughs> was that on, on Saturday, Michael? It's very important. Very important to sign off with a reasonably good-looking performance, but let's not get carried away. They're still friendlies. They're still pre, you know, pre pre World Cup games. But you're right. I mean, after the series of performances throughout the Six Nations, after the Twickenham horror, um, to get those two wins, just to get the Ws, not to ship any serious injuries and to go yeah. away feeling better about themselves. It was also a very very interesting selection too, because you got Robbie Henshaw and Bundiaki starting in midfield, <coughs> playing very, very well. Obviously, the idea being that when they were caught up together, they, they had an understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and that looks very much like the primary midfield selection. Yeah. The back row selection was also very, very interesting with what uh, what happened with Stander at six, Josh van der Flair mm-hmm. at seven, and uh, Jack Conan at eight. That's um, a back row to play South Africa, though, isn't it? Yeah. Rather than a back row to play Scotland. That, 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 you would think that that mm-hmm. might be the case, and no sign of Peter Romani. No, he's... I assume it will come in, or you know, is he going to come in? I don't know. Are you going to put Standard back to eight? I, I think know. I think for Scotland, it's Standard eight, <coughs> Pete at six. You couldn't go without him. Yeah, because of his nice, you couldn't go without him. Now maybe if, as you alluded to, you're going something very big, very physical, that combination there that we saw might might be better. I don't know. We shall wait and see. But it's mm. all very interesting. And of course, Rob Carney. Uh, copper fastening any doubters about whether mm. he was just that little bit off mm-hmm. he looked right on it and, classic and that's Rob Carney important. yeah like whenever he needs to pull out those he performances doesn't. he just does <laughs> like he's, he essentially saved them two tries yeah. in the first whatever half an hour and he's not really appreciated or indeed I think there's not an awful lot of love comes Rob, Rob Carney's way and I don't mm. really know why we talk a lot it's about because the he always media. plays I think yeah. yeah and they sort of I don't know, there's, there it's just another, doesn't seem to yeah, be that. It's another one of those where people look at the impact that other teams get from their fullbacks mm. in an attacking mm. sense without mm. ever acknowledging the fact that these aren't the players that are going to be replacing Rob Carney. <laughs> and then, you know, Robbie Henshaw plays against England. Um, and I love Robbie Henshaw, I think he's a brilliant player. I thought he was really, really good on Saturday, but he was terrible at fullback against yeah, England. Yeah. And, you know, that's your second option. Maybe, maybe it's Carberry, he's not even fit. I don't know. I don't know. And yet Rob Carney's been doing this for a decade, mm. on and off. It's funny, isn't it? But um, but the one area I thought, and maybe you'd agree with me, that they weren't quite, maybe quite, it was still halfback. Yeah. And that would still be 
a worry. There were lots of many other positives in the performance mm. and the combinations and, and the way they went about their business, but that just wasn't still quite right. Mm. And they do very much need Johnny Sexton mm-hmm. on the money here mm. and Conor Murray. That would be just a concern for me, just a little niggling sort of fear in the back of my mind as they head off that they haven't quite got that back yet. And they're going to have to have it for Scotland, which is the next time they'll play. Yeah. What did you think of them, the the halfbacks? Oh, it's the elephant in the room. Like, we talked about it all summer. Ireland are only going to go as far as... An unformed Johnny Sexton it's not can the take elephant them. in the room if we've talked about it all summer, but continue. Well, we're about half an hour into this and we haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> Every conversation about Ireland's chances at the World Cup should be prefaced yeah. with with a good Johnny Sexton. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because there is no replacing him in that squad. I've said before I would have liked to see Sexton and Carberry play together. It's too late for that now. Obviously with Carberry's injuries <laughs> and the injuries that Sexton's had. But... I thought there was obviously elements of rust. You look at the, you know, after Lee Halfpenny's missed penalty and then Sexton puts his restart out in the full, mm. that gives the scrum that we see Wales attack down the blind side and almost score, if not for Carney coming in, sweeping in behind. Like, I thought Sexton was okay. I thought there were elements of rust, as there would be, given that he hasn't played since May. But yes, obviously he needs to be... I don't want to say he needs to be back to his best to beat Scotland, because obviously Ireland beat Scotland without him being at his best in the Six Nations and then he went off in that game as well Yeah, but yeah. for Ireland to win a quarter final against the All Blacks or South Africa he needs yeah. to be putting in an 8 out of 10 yeah. which means he's got to play more pool games perhaps to get himself mm. up to speed to get up. which is also a worry because he exposes himself mm-hmm. more to uh, mm. well, like yeah. even on Saturday you know, you had the mm. sort of Samson Lee hit off the ball yeah. and then everyone is just like a collective holding a breath <laughs> until he gets up yeah yeah, um, Donal O'Reilly asks. Well, he points out uh, Warren Gatlin's comments after the match, <coughs> uh, which weren't um, entirely positive about Ireland's performance. That's well, uh, a great. Donal way wants to know does he have a point? TWD. Um, it's a great way of deflecting um, any conversation about the fact that your own team has lost three out of four going in and framing the narrative which is something that Gatland is brilliant at framing the narrative around somebody else's team like we saw two weeks ago and he was talking about Ireland being old and unsure of themselves and it was like a warm up you know it's like what's the point (laughs) what are you you looking to gain from this but um, yeah I saw I think it was Alan Quidlin um, talking about how Gatland still um, harbours a bit of a grudge from the way things ended for him here and he does seem to aim a few verbal grenades in Ireland's direction more than anybody else and there is that idea that he gets under Joe Schmidt's skin um, and maybe enjoys the fact that he can get under Joe Schmidt's skin so just does it out of a mischievous <laughs> nature more than anything else but does he have a point in that Ireland won't win a World Cup playing the way that they did on Saturday I think that he does because whatever you want to say about the way that Wales played over the last however many years, whenever like Jamie Roberts was their centre or whatever, Ireland didn't show an awful lot on attack. I don't know whether that's because they're holding things back. I would assume that they're holding a lot of their sort of strike moves back, but it was an awful lot off nine and using their centres to carry into contact, try and beat Wales up in the mi- middle before going wide. But 
I would probably reserve judgment until we see what they do against Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Remember Warren did drop Brian O'Driscoll now. Never <laughs> let that be forgotten. Like, <laughs> if, if he could do that, then who knows <laughs> what this maniac is capable yeah. of. Yeah, anything he says from now on should just be prefaced with that. Yeah. But or that should be the follow up question. Well, it wasn't the worst. No, it, it worked. They won, they won the game. <laughs> yeah, they put like 40 on the Wallabies yeah, after that. Yeah. But it is the world number one on that side that he's talking about. Well, we haven't addressed that. Ireland are, for the first time, world number one. And it doesn't mean anything. No. It, it, it really, the, the really rugby, doesn't. Why are the rugby rankings so... Like, the FIFA it's, football rankings are bonkers, but rugby makes them seem very well worked out. The rugby rankings haven't really been talked about for a decade because the All Blacks were infallible. So we're only really having this discussion because the All Blacks lost a few games and it probably yeah. shows a few quirks in the rankings. From what I understand it, and like CJ Stander was quite funny on Saturday when he was asked about it, he was like, I didn't know we're number one, I assume it's worked out by some computer, so it's not really not really important. And obviously it is an algorithm of sorts. I think it places huge value in winning away. Right. So obviously Ireland winning last week was huge for their ranking points, and Ireland very rarely lose at home, so they don't allow yeah. other teams to gain those ranking mm. points as it were it does obviously seem insane that a team can seem so much in uh, have so many more questions about them than they had this time last year when they weren't world number one but this is essentially because the All Blacks got beat by the Wallabies in the middle of the rugby championship and then drew with South Africa which back when the Wallabies in South Africa weren't as high up in the ratings so they took a huge hit to their points which concertinaed everything together. Like, there's no gap, really, between the top four teams. But, while, yes, it's something for Joe Schmidt to take off, another first thing that he did in Irish rugby, quite obviously the best team in the world is whoever wins the final in November. You know? yeah. It's the least relevant thing you'll have ever achieved in <laughs> yeah. Irish yeah. rugby. No one will be talking about this once the competition gets going. Mm-hmm. It, but, it, it, you know, it, it's a nice thing. It's an it's a feather in the cap. You could say you've done it, no matter how you've gone about mm. doing it. You've done it, but nobody is. There's no currency in that ranking whatsoever. Yeah. It's no. something if, for his CV in like ten years time. Whenever <laughs> people are writing like retrospective pieces about the Joe Schmidt era, you know, when they list off all his achievements, one of them will be took Ireland to first in the world rankings for the first time ever. But at present, obviously, when it's on the eve of the World Cup, I'd say they probably would rather not be number one in the world yeah, to be probably. Perfect perfectly honest if they're still world number one come mid-November then we'll then, talk yes, about it then that's fine then it will be fantastic um, just briefly on Joe Schmidt his record at the Aviva because uh, we haven't really talked about him uh, his last game in Dublin but his record at the Aviva was phenomenal ridiculous yeah even more so when you consider that he lost two of his first three mm-hmm. and ended up only losing five yeah, um, and can you? I don't have the stats up here. Um, well, for anybody not, wondering why I'm talking in sort of broken English when I'm trying to read off my laptop, it's because it sounds like it's going to take off, so it has to sit very far away. Anyway, come on. Uh, they lost to Australia and New Zealand, having beat Samoa, so that was the November. One of the games he lost actually was a warm up to Wales, so you can almost discount that. If that was yeah. four years ago. Other losses, England. In the most recent Six Nations? Yeah. One, two, three, four. Hmm. Uh, missing one. They drew with Wales. Unless it's he didn't win five. Lost four. 
Anyway. Oh, no, sorry, the other All Blacks team. Uh, the oh, yeah. All Blacks oh, came in 2016. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's five. Five plus so, one draw. Which was interesting because the All Blacks came and beat them up. Which, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully <laughs> will be something we, we witness. Um, yeah. that, that physicality that day, Ireland just simply wilted. Mm-hmm. But well, it's a phenomenally good record. And like everything else, people will really take it on board, I think, uh, more significantly when he's not mm-hmm. there whenever they start to lose games and when he used, exactly. used to be Wouldn't just what happened Joe. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right we kind of yeah. got used to it we kind of expect it so it'll be very interesting to see how they go once that Schmidt factor yeah. is removed from the equation it's yeah. like you know like Six Nations games against the likes of France like he never lost at home hmm. to France never lost at home to Scotland mm-hmm. uh, and these were things that used to happen routinely like before mm. he arrived but you just yeah. got used to them not happening now yeah, you forget that it ever did. You're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundups World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remusura, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockers Nationwide. On to provincial matters then. Michael, you were at Kingspan Stadium on Saturday to watch Ulster put 50 points so. on Glasgow. Yes, yes, I, I, I was there. Yes, I was there. I was that soldier. I was watching it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it you know, yeah, they, they, they put 50 on them. They scored 43 unanswered points, 33 if you just count the second half. Yeah. I don't think you can read an awful lot into that. The Glasgow team uh, were obviously much more severely affected by World Cup call-ups and so on, and, and they looked well off it. Now, in fairness, they did lead at half-time, and they, Glasgow yeah. started, and Ulster looked a bit ragged at times in the first half, but basically uh, they tore them to shreds from mm-hmm. about the 35th minute onwards. Now, I don't know if you learn a great deal from that, because um, <clears throat> you know they just scored and yeah. scored and scored. Um, so, I mean, Dan McFarlane wasn't getting carried away, but then you wouldn't have expected him to anyway, mm-hmm. regardless of the meaningless or otherwise of the fixture. Um, I thought the more most interesting aspect of it, though, were the players who weren't there, um, as opposed to what necessarily happened mm-hmm. on the pitch. Um, no Stuart McCluskey, no Robert Balakoon, yeah. no Louis Ludic, no Andy Warwick, no Marty Moore. Um, those were the, you know, the, the the key ones, and that obviously led to debate over the props situation mm-hmm. with Gareth uh, Milosinovic. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, out for the season, there yeah. was there was uh, discussion um, that obviously during the week that um, Thomas de Troyes would be coming, and that was shot down. Uh, yeah. that, that wouldn't be happening, at least not that particular player. But those okay, players yeah, were there, missing. There was a fine Ulster rugby roundup um, summation last week that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. People, still didn't, people still didn't believe us. No, yeah. they didn't. But it, judging from some of those that, players who I mentioned are injured. Though yeah, we didn't okay. get the full SP uh, on what is either what's... necessarily wrong with them or whether if all of them mm-hmm. are are injured. Were there any indications that any of them will be in Glasgow this weekend? Uh, indications, but nothing terribly uh, terribly okay. strong. Yeah. Um, he said McCluskey, Stuart McCluskey might might make it. He said Robert Balakoon probably would not. Okay. Um, that's as far as we got. So um, we're not absolutely sure. Marty Moore, I think, maybe has a knock. Andy Warwick is recovering from some form of injury. Okay. Um, but he was hoping to maybe be there. The, the squad, we're led to believe, will not be, I think, something like 29-man squad mm-hmm. for that particular opening friendly. Yeah. It will be not as extensive. And 
Tom McFarland indicated that it would perhaps be more of a demonstration of what they'd be doing mm-hmm. when they play the Ospreys, which is the next game about two weeks, just on, just two weeks yeah. later or whatever, when the Pro 14 gets going. And so of course, very interesting selection this weekend. Well, it will be because the Irish players, the returning yeah. World Cup players, and we saw John Cooney, but he's been back for a while. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he was on the bench, came off the bench, looked very sharp. John Cooney took like two days off. Mm. He was like, didn't make the World Cup squad, but fine. I'm going straight back to Ulster. I think he took like the weekend off and then he was back in training. Do you know where John Cooney was on Tuesday night? Where? No. At the Northern Ireland match? In the Northern Ireland Oh, Ireland sorry, yes. Corey Maybe. Evans? Mm. What? Corey Evans? I only realised this at the Northern Ireland match on Thursday that John Cooney and Corey Evans look identical from a distance. I've never known. I'm going to have to get pictures up. Well, I've, I've, never. I've never thought about it until I was watching the match and I was like... Why is John Kitty playing for Northern Ireland? That's insane. Well, he, he One way to get in a green jersey, like, was he? Yeah, yeah in a Northern Ireland. Oh, no, Northern he's, Northern just, Northern he's yeah. just fully That's right. He's really he's converted. Totally, yeah. 100%. I think he's changed in his international allegiance at this stage. He's available for call-up for Michael Oh, do you know what? I am so not switched on today that I didn't even realise why it would be weird that he's wearing a Northern Ireland shirt because he's not from uh, okay, <laughs> sorry. But this has been a podcast yeah. full of insight, obviously. Yes. <laughs> Um, but he looked he looked sharp. Yeah. Now the interesting thing is, will Jack McGrath, will Rob Herring, will Jordy Murphy, will Will Addison play? And the, there was in, there were indications that yes, uh, they they may well be involved, which would be sensible mm-hmm. because they all need to play yeah. and Ulster need them to play, and this Absolutely. would be a good opportunity. And especially for if we're led to believe that a number of these players are were very close to getting call up, and therefore are yeah. on standby. Yeah, they need to be he, he, he does. Joe Schmidt was particularly mm-hmm. with Will Addison. Will want them to get game yeah. time under their belts, no matter whether it's a friendly or once the serious business begins. Mm-hmm. Um, when the Ospreys come on, uh, I think it's the twenty seventh. I think twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just very briefly before we talk about the the game itself, on Craig Gilroy, you had mm. said there that you asked Dan McFarland about the signing. He said that Thomas Dutois wouldn't be coming in. Mm-hmm. Or that a player wouldn't be coming in? Which do you think? Do you think there's nobody coming in? He didn't. I think it's just not him. Gareth going to great efforts here to yeah. stoke up the fire. Yeah, it's next week's listener question. It's on behalf of the fans. They're he, going to be wondering. He didn't rule out the fact <clears throat> that they might need somebody at some point. Um, props, particularly, and I think he, he name-checked uh, Gareth Milosinovic. <laughs> we really should have asked him, just to be sure, how to pronounce his name. Yes, 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 we should have. I think it's Milosinovic. Um, and on that basis that it was possible if they were to drop another, say, okay. tight head. Yeah. And as we don't know what Marty Moore's status is, if they did, and he described Marty Moore as being a very experienced player and very important, and uh, Ross Kane and Tom O'Toole as not as experienced but also mm-hmm. very important in that they are the future. Yeah. But if Marty Moore was down, that would probably leave them those two with Andy Ward possibly switching across, which might not mm-hmm. be considered enough. Yeah. Um, so they may well go looking, but okay. he he just he just poured cold water in that, yeah. which we you know the podcast of course had already done so, <laughs> um, on the Dutois. I I'm like wholly against, or sorry, I was wholly against the idea of signing Dutois, especially seeing people seem to, to project him as a tight head when he's been playing lucid, again, but obviously that picture changes a little bit if. Not in regards to the trial, but just in regards. I think Dan actually said we wouldn't be bringing somebody of, of his. That quality. Yes, yes. Exactly. Which was the interesting quote to me when you sent it on to me. Um, but if, and as is their want, we're not being told, 
if Andy Warwick and Marty Moore are both injured to start the season, mm-hmm. then they are short of props. Yeah. We, we also uh, the forgotten man Tommy O'Hagan was nowhere to be seen either. He was he there, was, but he was around. They, were, I think, they were all around. They were doing various things around the ground, possibly mm. even Louis Ludic, but we didn't know. We don't know why yeah. they, they weren't involved. Yeah. We can only draw our own conclusions okay. and from little bits of information that we did get. The preseason is a difficult one because yeah. the only way to like definitively find all this out would just be to ask Don McFarland name by name and take out the entire press conference <laughs> yeah. time with like 20 guys who weren't playing <laughs> at the weekend. Yeah. Look, I mean, the Dutrois thing, you know, they are going to South Africa for two games and maybe, you know, if they were to sign a short term, now they've ruled him out, but he is there and if they needed somebody, he's out there when they get there. It's not inconceivable that someone comes in only for two or three games, mm. but look. That would have been brilliant. It would have been like the, the ultimate Tom Court situation. Yeah. Well, he's in South Africa so anyway, so he'll play two <laughs> games. For us. We'd never see, never see Ravenhill at all, but no. just play two games out in South Africa. But I know we've never, we've never, that's, that's, we've never reached that point of actually yeah. even asking that question because he made sure that um, the story and his opinion, his, his opinion was, had no legs whatsoever. It's such a weird one though, isn't it? Because like, the first report was in South Africa. Mm. Then we recorded the podcast the next day. Everything that we'd heard and anyone that we'd been talking to was like, no, that's not a good mm. one. And then it just appeared again in a different South African publication. Mm-hmm. And then it appeared in a media outlet out here. So it's, it was weird that it kept having legs, despite the fact that everybody here was saying, no. There's nothing. Mm. No, and perhaps that was why, because nobody officially said that there yeah. was nothing. So it's picked up, and oh look at that, we'll run it. Oh look, they've run, we'll run it. It yeah. probably just it was it was probably as simple yeah. as that. Um, the game itself, Craig Gilroy back in action, yep. two tries, just great yep. to see him back out there. Oh, fantastic to see him back out there. Two tries, one very familiar Gilroy stepping when he really doesn't have any room, and you think, oh, will he score from there? Oh yeah, he did. He did. Oh yeah, well done. Yeah, of course, of course he can do that. And another one where I think he was put away by Michael Lowry pass he looked reasonably sharp he only did 40 minutes we asked if that was part of the plan mm-hmm. to which Dan sort of said yes it was part of the plan to give him 40 mm. um, because it looked like he would have wanted to continue but with there being so many other players I mean yeah. well, quite often these friendlies aside substantially changed half time Glasgow mm-hmm. very much did and Ulster then didn't do it necessarily from half time but started bringing players on filtering them and some of them are wearing the same numbers as the players that which makes they, they replaced easy. which really really <laughs> makes it oh look there's number seven wait a minute that's not yeah, what, 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 you know that sort of thing that's thankfully it. your extensive coverage of the Ulster A team means that you're probably in a better position than anybody else to recognise these guys but um, hang on a minute extensive <laughs> coverage of the Ulster A team well, over the, over the last two or three years maybe not from the distance that we sit out at Kingsman but yeah, but there was an element of that. Quite often you're used to players coming on without numbers in their back, mm. a particularly tricky one to the opposition, but uh, yeah. sometimes it can also happen with Ulster. But on this occasion, yeah, they had the same numbers. So I think it was Sean Reedy came on for Marcus Ray. I don't think Marcus and Matty Ray were on the pitch at the same time, unfortunately. The Curtises mm-hmm. were, yeah. uh, but um, but they weren't. And uh, I think it was Sean Reedy just looking at him going, right, oh, well done, that was Marcus Ray. Oh, Oh, hang on, that's not Marcus Ray. No, 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 definitely not. The perils of a rugby reporter. Well, it takes you back. It's like a, you know, a throwback to your early days. Like, whenever I have these things of, you know, one player coming on wearing the wrong jersey, I'm like, oh, well, do you remember like having to cover 
club matches everywhere across the country mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon it would be like the centre would be wearing six and the two wingers were always the wrong way around and <laughs> one guy was always not actually playing that was on the team it sheet. still happens it still happens mm-hmm. wingers frequently aren't wearing the numbers that you're told they're wearing like yeah. props are just wearing whatever jersey fits yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, how big a player could Craig Gilroy be for Ulster this season? Huge, huge. I'm glad you didn't ask me anything specific about the game. No, I was, <laughs> I being, I was like, being very particular about I what thought, I asked I you. I thought like. you were going to when you looked over. <laughs> um, yeah, I think people probably forgot about him. And you know, you're talking about somebody that's scored more tries in the Pro 14 for Ulster than anybody else. Uh, it's just he was missing for so long, and it was one of those where whenever it happened, he wasn't ruled out for the season. Not unlike Will Addison, so it just became. People didn't talk about the severity and the significance of losing him for the season because when it happened, we didn't know that he was gone for the season. But his try, rec- try scoring record speaks for itself. Always has done. And you look at a team that a few years ago would have had Trimble was still here, Bo was still here. The wing options now, Gilroy is actually the experienced one, mm-hmm. which is different for him than it's ever been at any other point in his career but when you look at Stockdale missing games through the World Cup and through Six Nations whatever you know to have somebody of Gilroy's quality there and to still have the versatility of somebody like Matt Faddis Lee Ludic who can operate on the wing and then Robert Balakoon as well it's a good place to be in assuming obviously the Stockdale is going to miss as much of the season as he is Mm -hmm. didn't mention as well of course we got a debut um, from Sam Carter and Matt yep. Faddis yep. and Dave O'Connor and the other brother, sets of brothers Alan and Dave O'Connor played together in the mm-hmm. first half and Sam Carter um, scored a try Faddis looked okay <clears throat> you know, I mean, he'll get sharper mm-hmm. so we had all that so there was, there was a lot to take in there um, I just wouldn't get too excited about the result because mm-hmm. it's fairly meaningless we've talked a lot about meaningless games and results today but <laughs> yeah. it's amazing that we managed to sustain this podcast over yeah. the summer when all of the things are meaningless <laughs> but um, there is a question about Sam Carter Michael Lee asks from watching Saturday's game do you think Sam Carter will be an integral part of Ulster's lineouts this season as he's a big lad and he secured a good lot on Saturday we were guaranteed good ball to set up for his play a very easy answer to that, yes, <laughs> he, he will be. That's what he did at the Brumbies. He's, he's got a really, really high work rate, and he's a good line-out operator as well, and that's exactly what he's here to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't look, you know, he, he wasn't at his sharpest. Why would he be? You know, he, you know he's had, well, he, he, he's played longer because he was playing with the Brumbies quite late in the year, but, uh, you know, he, he'll, be hitting, he'll be hitting his straps but he won't have been doing so in these friendlies, and hopefully he'll uh, he'll do so um, when they play the Ospreys. So there were a couple of tries for two of the the debutants on Saturday, Graham Curtis and Ethan McElroy, who's only and in Sam the... Carter, he was a debutant as well. Ah, uh, well, okay, I said younger deb- debutants, uh, did I not? Well, I meant to say younger. And Sam um, Carter's only thirty today, so he'll be very upset to be lumped in with. The no, not that's younger. absolutely not younger. <clears throat> No, it's not. No matter what you like to think, Jonathan. I know, but it's if, if some, on the day that somebody turns thirty, and then you know they're lumped in <laughs> with the, the old. Like he'd have been lumped in even if he's twenty nine. Oh, Doesn't matter. That's true. Um, Just noting the fact that today was his birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Sam. If you listen, probably not. So Ethan McElroy <laughs> was part of that Methody team last year, and mm. uh, we saw him in a couple of games for Methody, and I thought he was brilliant. He might be becoming my my tip for the unlikely 
potential star of the future. Is he going to take the crown off Robert Balakin? Well, Balakin's already established he's, he's himself. Too, he's too established for yeah, you. Know? He's, yeah, he's too mainstream. Is he going to be a podcast pick? Because we had to lose Mike Lowry after he became established. Yeah, mm. but yeah, we, we could take on the Ethan McElroy because last year, who was it that wasn't in the academy and then was added in late? Angus Kerner. Angus Kerner. Ethan McElroy could be the new Angus Kerner. Off the back of scoring tries in pre-season, essentially. Exactly. What did you What did you make of those guys? McElroy in particular as my my new pick. Oh well, they both looked they both looked reasonably comfortable. But then at this point, remember it was all one way traffic. Yeah. Um, the points were being piled on. They took their tries very well. The tries were pretty well worked as well. I think. Um, I think it was Graham Curtis also uh, provided an assist at some point as well. There were did so Curtis many tries. Um, I think he did. Actually, yes, I think he did. Um, he was notionally a scrum half originally, yeah. wasn't he? But then he was playing on the wing for the uh, A side when I saw them the week before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did go out onto the wing. Um, look, they did all right. It's hard to read. Yeah. Both had played. I think for the A team the week before in the Celtic Cup and have been brought up and Dan McFarland actually had mentioned how wide-eyed they were to be told that they were <laughs> part of the senior squad. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if they'll be going to Glasgow for the return mm-hmm. game. They could well be yeah. back with the A team now. Yeah. But I suppose like Aaron Sexton, sorry, that's a guy I completely forgot as well. There's no sign of Aaron Sexton yeah, on, um, at the weekend who got up you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be around the senior squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd probably be getting most of their game time this season, perhaps with. I think the sevens training started though, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. I'm not That's absolutely sure. Yeah. Greg and Amber have had a break up. Well, it's just mm-hmm. just keeping you in the loop with, uh, with with Love Island guys. You know, I have no idea what you're talking about. The guy that won Love Island mm-hmm. was an Iron right. Sevens player. So. All right. And the big news over the weekend was that they had broken up. Right. Due to his training he, he, you know, his career is in Dublin, her career is in the UK. My word. She was meant to be on the late late, and then she wasn't. If I put Love Island in the title of this podcast, probably get a lot more views. And then people would just be really confused when they listen to it, and we're <laughs> yeah. an R in without yeah. mentioning it. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Was it significant at all, or is it reading too much into it that <laughs> Michael Ray has a No, we're moving on, Jonathan. Oh, I thought we were still on that. Are we not still <laughs> on the Love Island? <laughs> as much as Jonathan wants, seems to want to talk about it, no, we're absolutely not. Is it significant that McElroy as a sub-academy player is getting this game time, or is that reading too much into it? I think you might be reading too yeah. much into it. I think you're trying very, very hard yeah. to, but you, you just you can't really read too much. No, right. I think it's fair. Right. Connor, Connor Rankin didn't play, no? No, he played for the A's. He played for the A's. Because he would obviously be the, the back three player he would. in the academy. <coughs> okay. Or in the new Maybe academy. Maybe he doesn't play in wing, does he? I've only seen him play fullback, but yeah. that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I don't know. We have a couple of questions about uh, the the podcast old I can still let's not he's still our favourite player, Michael Lowry. Robert Agnew asks about the starting ten for Ulster this season. He says surely this is Lowry's time and uh, Chris Toole says that in his opinion <laughs> Lowry was better than Burns at ten. Well we had a big feature on him as um, our rising star. Very so, good feature it was too, uh, if you haven't seen it. Belfast Telegraph website. Yeah, so we're obviously fully behind this. Mm. Yeah, he did look good at 10 when he switched. He'd also went off at one point during the game because I think he had to get it stitched up. Could so you see him getting much game time at 10 this season? It's Rather interesting because um, you've got Burns. Now, Burns yeah. played a lot last year and they didn't really change it up a no. hell of a lot. But you've got Laurie and Bill Johnson who are both very young yeah, and both probably vying for those same minutes. But 
Kapari obviously has the ability of being able to play fullback, but there's an awful lot of options of fullback this season, obviously, with the versatility of Ludic and Fadis that we already alluded to. Gilroy coming back in. Um, Addison not being at the World Cup. You've got so many options for that 15, 14, 11. Luke Marshall is back this year, which gives you less of an inclination to play one of those guys at 13, which was different from last year. So, yeah. There's it's all well sorry, it's all well and good us sitting here in early September and talking about all the players that are here, but obviously somebody's going to get injured. Yeah. yeah well, look, they're spoiled for choice. But I thought, I, I wouldn't say significant, that's too strong a word. Perhaps even interesting is too strong a word, but I'm going to say it all the same. <laughs> don't downplay <laughs> your opinion, sir. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, if Billy Burns was captain at the weekend, I yeah. don't know why, Alan O'Connor would normally have taken that mantle. Mm, yeah. Don't, don't know if it means it's anything true, or not. Yeah. Probably yeah. not. But I just remember thinking, that's... It is weird. That's a bit... Of course, we didn't know he was going to be captain. He, he mm-hmm. did do the, the, uh, the midweek press yeah. conference. But I like Billy Burns as an interviewee. Yeah, he's good. He's very, very good. He's very open, very interesting. And uh, chats away. And mm. uh, he, he was good. He was good. Don't know if it's significant to say. I did downplay that as much as I possibly could before I said it. Because it probably doesn't mean very much. But it, is, it, is, it is interesting. No. Is it? I, I think it's interesting. You understand sure. that like, Gareth will spin this into an online story of <laughs> how, dare how you? significant was it that Billy... How dare you? This is what? an attack on my journalistic integrity. Pro- probably why it's significant that Billy Burns <laughs> That's why I remember Brett saying that, do you think? Prominent Ulster Journal says that uh, Billy, <laughs> Billy Burns will lead Ulster to the promised land. <laughs> There it wasn't an attack on you at all. Well, I felt like it was. But I don't know who was captain after he went off. I can't remember. So there you are. That's not interesting. That's definitely <laughs> well, thank you for your comment. Um, there is a follow-up question about Billy Burns. I remember we'd spoken, I think it was the end of last season, that I was a little bit surprised at how much the fans... Some people just don't really, like him. Don't really like him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Prop winger mm-hmm. uh, asks, Ulster, well, he says, Ulster made 15 metres from a mall on the setup for Gilroy's first try. But the kick to touch was so conservative that the effort only got them to the five meter line. Burns' kicks to touch are very conservative. <laughs> is this a player himself, or is this something to do with the coaching? I'd say that's more likely to be the player himself. The coaches aren't yeah. going to say, <laughs> "Yeah, it would uh, be a bit weird." Go conservative, but yeah. like, I think just to play devil's advocate here, I think it's important to remember that Billy Burns didn't really have a full preseason was adjusting to playing with various new number nines, is still quite young, mm-hmm. was in a new league for a first time, and the implementation of Ulster's attacking structure really had to grow throughout the season because of Dan McFarland coming in so soon. So while I thought Burns had some good games last year, I'd be far more inclined to judge him on what he does this year than what he did last year. And I thought he was decent last year. In the in the main. So just finally, then Ulster, uh, uh, another win, third in a row, third game they've scored over thirty points, thirty three thirteen. They beat Connacht Eagles, and they're playing Leinster uh, this weekend. So, Michael, <laughs> you're the expert on this competition. You know how it works. Uh, what <laughs> what way has this left them? Final preview. Obviously, it's left them pretty good, saying they've won their first three games. But yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, it, what's going on? It does. Uh, they're they're uh, joint top with Leinster. I think Leinster have a better points differential. You know, this is this is a critical game for who'll probably come top of the and league. The four more games before what? Um, the final. The final. The final. It goes straight to the final. Straight league, first, second, then go to play the final. Okay. It doesn't matter where you're from. 
if the Welsh teams aren't good enough to make first or second, then I'll be in the final. Yeah. So um, I reckon this weekend could be a, a sort of a dress rehearsal for that final? It could be a dress rehearsal. I have no Let's idea. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but essentially this is just deciding who gets to be at home for the final. That's mm. what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what way they'll go. Um, I don't know whether they will slightly strengthen or maybe not go as academy-orientated mm-hmm. as they've been before. I, I really don't know. Yeah, but this is, this, is, uh, this is the most challenging game they'll probably have due to the quality Leinster A normally put out in this competition. I think if you like, I think if you start saying that you're playing the academy sub academy, just keep doing it, especially when they're winning. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, this game is on Saturday at three at Donnybrook. Donnybrook now That's called great. Energy and Park. Oh, of course. Sorry, and so, the, the wee jingle from there, really well, just comes into my head when you say that. Mm. Energy, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Nope. Don't, don't really listen you don't to the radio. There we go. Anyway, um, that's pretty much us for for this week, then, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, we yep. we will be back next week for our big World Cup preview before you jet off to Japan. Yeah, hopefully I don't get caught in the airport or caught in this oh, yeah, typhoon or yeah. something. But uh, yeah, are you excited? I am excited. There's an awful lot. Like there's an awful lot of organisation to do, an awful lot of admin still to do in terms of getting stuff sorted so I can do, do work for you and whatnot while I'm exactly. out there. Exactly. I'm a hard um, taskmaster. Yeah. People were very upset that I wasn't at the Ulster game on Saturday and I was at Ireland instead. But What can you do? I'm not, not going to be at Ulster for a long time. From Michael Sadler. Goodbye. From Jonathan Bradley. Thanks very much. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup special brought to you in association with Rima Suomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stoggis Nationwide.